and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. Still trying to work through the draft class this week as nine players coming in to Houston. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk to some people who know these guys better than us that have seen them grow through college. So I'm delighted this week to be joined by David from Gators Breakdown. David, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time, man. Really good to talk. We've got a couple of connections in common with the Florida program, but where do you kind of see the Gators program now as of the end of twenty twenty one? Where's that program at right now? Yeah, a big uh, transition for the Gators. They get get rid of Dan Mullen. Uh, they fired Dan Mullen at the end toward the end of the season, and Billy Napier comes in uh, from Louisiana, a smaller college uh, there, but worked his ranks up through uh, Clemson and Alabama was the head coach at Louisiana since 2018, won their conference uh, two out of the four years there. So Billy Napier gets hired at Florida, and it will be a big change. And, look, I would have loved – with what Billy Napier brings to the program and his style of football, I know one of the big uh, topics we'll talk about is Damian Pierce. I would have loved Damian Pierce to be in this Billy Napier offense and this Gator offense for one more season, but uh, I'm glad that he's there in Houston, and uh, you, you guys are going to love him. But, yeah, big transition for the Gators program right now. And you're know, part of that transition, and one reason Dan Mullen got fired was because he did not use uh, Damian Pierce enough. And uh, we'll get into that. But uh, big, big program change for Florida uh, there. They'll still be producing the NFL draft picks like they always do. But we'll see what the coaching change does for the Gators. And how have you seen the sort of change in college dynamics completely kind of flip on its head with the introduction of the name, image and likeness, the NIL uh influence in the in the sort of recruiting program every year? Um, obviously, everything's cyclical, but, you know, Colleges have ups and down periods, but how do you kind of see the program going into 2022 and what's that dynamic been like affecting uh, for you guys down in the swamp? Yeah, it's been a try, trying to get a handle on just all the changes. It has been pretty difficult. And uh, just, just coming up week, we'll hear the NCAA is going to come in, step in and try and put more stipulations in, in name, image and likeness. And not even a year after it was announced that you know, name, image and likeness would start in college football, college sports altogether. Now they already are kind of trying to redesign and not let boosters get as involved. And look, that's what we knew was going to happen. We knew as soon as name, image and likeness was was brought about in college football, that it was going to be the wild, wild west. It was going to be programs trying to share to recruits, this is what name, image, and likeness will be able to do for you. So the way Florida's handled it most mostly is we're going to take care of the players we currently have. And if we can take, play, play, take care of the players we currently have, that will let they, those current players share that information with recruits. Hey, look, Florida is going to take care of you. And Florida has the only what they call collective, where it's a fan, the fans get to donate a monthly or a one-time donation, and that money goes to name, image, and likeness for players. So the players are have the responsibility of doing podcasts. They have uh, public appearances. They do radio shows throughout the throughout the state of Florida. And what that's been able to do is get involvement with the fan base, and they with that money that comes in from the collective, that money is guaranteed to the players. That money has been set aside, and the current players have renegotiated their contracts with the Gator Collective for a set number of engagements. And that's how they get their money. So they, it's not a pay for play. 
the way Florida's presenting it, these guys actually have to go about and, and do these type of interviews and type of engagements. And Florida's the only collective out there that has guaranteed payment. They have the money in the bank, they have the money in storage to pay these players. So that's going a long way in these recruits not allowed to have contact with the coaches about name, image, and likeness or boosters about name, image, and likeness, but they can talk to the current players and the current players have been the biggest seller point for name, image, and likeness for Florida. So that's, that's really helped Florida in recruiting so far. But uh, as far as college football as a whole, we're, we're still learning about it. There's still so much to learn about it. And now these new stipulations that are becoming about this week as well. Um, it's, it really has turned into what we thought it would be kind of a no holds barred for recruiting and NCAA is trying to catch up. Yeah, no, I think in, you got that plus the transfer portal, you know, just oh, about, man, yeah. yeah, it's just throwing it kind of in the disarray. Have you guys kind of seen any players lost or gained with the, the transfer portal flexibility? Uh, Florida did lose a couple of players. Uh, funny, uh, <laughs> Mamou Diabate, one of their linebackers transferred to Utah, which is Florida's first opponent for this coming up season. So the interesting storyline there. Um, and a couple of the players too that haven't, uh, another linebacker and Tyron Hopper committed to Missouri who Florida plays in conference as well. So that's a weird dynamic to the transfer portal. You're going to see some of your former players on the field, uh, in, in coming up seasons. But as far as maybe connecting it to name, image, and likeness or anything like that, Florida's not really lost any players due to name, image, and likeness through the transfer portal. It's more about playing time, uh, and, Florida's going to be somewhat aggressive uh, in the transfer portal and trying to get a couple of players. That window is about to close for Florida. Um, Billy Napier, the new head coach, did say they'd be more aggressive. But I do think what happened was not a lot of players, not as many players entered the transfer portal, at least as far as guys that are better than what you would lose if you were Florida. So not as many guys left Florida. And I don't think Florida's going to be bringing in as many transfers as, as initially thought because there's just not that many difference makers uh, in the transfer portal. And that's something that's another storyline with the transfer portals. Guys are putting their name in a transfer portal and not finding a destination. Yeah. Uh, and they, they think the grass is greener on the other side and it just hasn't turned out that way. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's a very interesting dynamic that also needs to slow down uh, for college football. Yeah. And so a guy who joined Florida found himself uh, under a bit uh, under Dan Mullen, from Louisville was uh, Jonathan Grenard. Obviously, it was his second year last year. What was your kind of memories of of the one year of Grenard um, as a true edge rusher in the in the in the uh, Florida defense? Uh, great memories from Jonathan Grenard, and just from the get go as well. Florida opened up the season uh, with a week zero game. It was the only game uh, for college football. Instead of opening on week one, they moved that game up against Miami uh, as a prime time game that was the only college football game, the only major college football game that weekend. Uh, so all eyes were on Florida and Miami that game. And that was Jonathan Grenard's first game. And he lit the world on fire from the get-go. I mean, he, you could tell he was a difference maker. Miami's offensive line had no answer for him that night. He lived in the backfield all night long. And that was kind of the story of Jonathan Grenard all, th all throughout that season. He was Florida. He, he instantly came in as a leader for that Florida defense. And as I said, produced right away, showed up and get in Florida's biggest games that year against Miami, against Auburn, uh, and then FSU to end the year as well. I mean, most of his sacks came at the beginning of the season versus Miami and the end of the season versus uh, Florida State uh, there. But very, very cordial, very uh, – 
just went about it with a professional mindset. Uh, and I think that's what Todd Grantham knew he was getting in Jonathan Grenard. He recruited him at Louisville when Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator at Florida at the time, was the coordinator at Louisville recruiting Jonathan Grenard. So he knew about him, knew he wanted to bring him to the Florida program. And it was a match made in heaven uh, for that Gator defense. And there might be a connection. There might not be, but I, I will say there, I will say there was a connection. As soon as Jonathan Grenard left uh, Florida after that 2019 going into 2020 and 2020, of course, we know it was a difficult year for everyone, but yeah. the Florida defense fell off the map uh, after Jonathan Grenard and CJ Henderson, uh, yeah. the cornerback for the Gators that year left uh, and, and went to the NFL draft. But you could just tell once those two players left Todd Grantham's defense, the defense could not rebound. The defense struggled uh, the last couple of years, but Jonathan Grenard uh, coming in in 2019, we thought he would be an instant impact player. And he exceeded every expectation that we had for him when he came in. Yeah, because the irony was, I think it was almost a pick by chance. They wanted to trade back. You saw on the on on draft night, Bill O'Brien getting frustrated, and uh, of the they thought they were trading back. They picked him as a pick. You know, every every team's got to have a pick ready to go if they can't move. Um, and he's probably really been, without doubt, the best player in that draft class. Did you see him going as a third round guy? Was that was that kind of in the region of where you saw him kind of coming out um, when he when he declared? Yeah, that was about where I had pegged him to to, to be drafted yeah. there. And it was and it was kind of weird though because he, as far as Florida, you knew what he was going to be, but going and taking that next step to the NFL, he had that perfect tweener type. You didn't know if he was going to be hand in the dirt defensive end, or maybe even stand up as an outside linebacker type, but he's found a home there, uh, there with, with Houston and really come on. I mean, the stats he put up last year, I think what he missed the first two games of the year and then missed some at the. Yeah. He missed four in total last year. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and he still put up monster stats there uh, for Houston. So it would have been like, if he would have been a hundred percent healthy for the whole year, what even the stats would have uh, ended up being. And I know a lot of people thought uh, maybe even a pro bowl snub at the time uh, with, with his stats as well. So uh, very happy for Jonathan Gennard. It's really not a surprise uh, that he has went about, his NFL career like he has so far. Yeah, and what what do you think he's kind of ceiling is? I, I suppose you're right, because he is slightly light to play on a, on a four-man front, uh, but certainly, you know, at times he looks serviceable in the run game. A lot of his sacks weren't necessarily true wins, but, you know, awareness, IQ, ready to diagnose the second phase of the play and kind of clean up. Uh, what do you think Grenard's kind of ceiling was? And, and has, he, has he outstripped the expectations so far as a pro? Probably this fast. I don't think I expected that type of production in year two. Maybe eventually along the way he would get there. But uh, as we said, that true tweener type, but his his arms are so long. I mean, that has a benefit. He can make up for that size difference with his yeah. with the length of his arms and, and the way he plays there. But I'm, I'm glad you said, you know, play the way he plays the run game, the way he cleans up. He's a very smart player. I think that does make up for some of the physical limitations uh, that, he, that he may have because of the size, but he's able to diagnose the play, set the edge in the run game. He may not make the play in the run game, but he's going to set it up for somebody else uh, to make that play, keep that run inside, let a linebacker clean up, but he's going to set that edge, make sure uh, that that play doesn't go for a long game on the outside. And as you said, you know, I think um, – probably expand that pass rush ability a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe use his arms a, a bit more, maybe uh, 
probably surprised me a bit with his strength in the NFL. He can use that bull rush more than I thought he'd be able to uh, in the NFL just because of that size. So I'm eager to see, I think, uh, what coaching changes are going on a little bit on that defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, for the last couple of years with, with Grenard. So maybe just some tap into that development a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's the irony because he came in as a as a three four outside linebacker in the previous scheme. Um, wasn't a fit. Didn't really get much playing time in year one. So certainly for his playing time, uh, his per snap win rate at the point of attack, uh, you know, was an elite company. And I think that's why people were kind of pushing him as a, as you know, as a potential kind of nod for some honors last year. But yeah, I think uh, he certainly had some disagreements with <laughs> with myself in terms of some of the film. Uh, but he's certainly a very cerebral guy, uh, and I think he's he's you know hopefully uh, you know we're going to find some guys in the years to come to try and alleviate him. But of 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 the play that we've drafted in the last couple of years he's certainly one of them that are heading towards a second contract but year three is always the big test can he do it and can he do it over 16 games and can he stay healthy because he he has had injuries but the reason why we got you on today uh, was to talk about a position that we've perennially uh, underinvested in um, at tailback to get some juice at that position has people fired up um, but what was your view of Damien Pierce as a recruit when coming into Florida? He was somebody who had the very opposite of his college career. He had a ton of carries as a hot, uh, as a high school recruit. Uh, he got the ball a lot. He carried that offense in 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 his home state of Georgia. He was the workhorse uh, of uh, of that offense, and he was one of Dan Mullen's first big recruits. He come in previously recruited uh, or pre- very had high interest in Florida as a recruit, but then the coaching change from Jim McElwain to Dan Mullen happened. And if I'm not mistaken, if it was it may have been Dan Mullen's first visit or one of his very first visits was to go see Damian Pierce and make sure that he could, you know, get him to sign with Florida. And, uh, but yeah, it was opposite of his college career. He had a ton of mileage on him in high school. Uh, it got carry after carry really carried that team there. Uh, but you know, somebody who had the, the total package, he wasn't a burner and we saw that in his college career as well. Uh, but it was somebody that you knew was a well-rounded running back. And that's pretty much what he ended up being in Florida as well. And what was the kind of gro- growth like? Because ultimately when you're drafting these guys, you need to see a progression over those kind of three years of eligibility. What did you see from Damien day one to you know his final year there in Florida? Very weird dynamic with, with, with Damien Pierce because of Dan Mullen. Uh, it was, he played in 13 games uh, as a true freshman. So you, there was a lot of trust there, but Florida had Jordan Scarlett. Florida had LaMichael Pirine, but he come in as the third running back in his freshman season at Florida. Uh, I'll pull up the numbers here. 13 games played, 69 attempts that year. Uh, but what he did his freshman year was he would come in late in games after Pirine and Scarlett uh, had, had their carries and um, Florida would be up by a couple of scores and he would just take the top off. Uh, he would have long run after long run. Uh, and the, the longest runs of his career came his freshman and sophomore season. And part of that was because the best offense, the best offensive line he played with was his freshman season. That 2018 Florida offensive line was the best offensive line Dan Mullen had in his four years of, at Florida, but he had a 68 68- year yard long run in 2018 a 75-yard long run in 2019 wasn't able to hit those long runs in 2020 2021 but most of that was because he had to bend and make yards himself because Florida offensive line did him no favors in, in his last couple of years uh, in, in Gainesville, even 2019 as well. As I said, 2018 was really the best offensive line he got to play behind, but he was behind Jordan Scarlett and Michael Pirine as a true freshman. So you didn't see the long runs as uh, his 
uh, as his career went on, but you did see him get better as a pass blocker. You did see him get better as a receiver out of the backfield because Florida in 2020, Florida was a passing team in 2020 with Kyle Trask and Kendarius Tony and Kyle Pitts. Florida barely ran the ball. Florida was throwing the ball 45 times a game, but you still had Damian Pierce as your short yardage back, a guy who could be counted on. I think the biggest difference that I saw since he wasn't hitting those big runs as he was early in his career, he was still able to fall forward. Very rarely got tackled for a loss. If you're looking for a guy to go get you two yards on third and two, he's going to be your guy. And he's going to make a defender miss because that's what he had to do at Florida. His offensive line didn't give him a whole lot of help. He was having to make defenders miss in the backfield and go get that first down anyway. So basically the progression of the small things that he had to do, because he didn't hit those big runs, like as he did early in his career, but he did get better as a pass blocker. He did get better as a receiver and did better as making guys miss and just falling forward and making sure he gets yards. Yeah, no, there's something particularly slippery about him, I think, at the point of contact where he just manages to kind of get those hard yards, keeps his legs churning uh, on the on the point of getting tackled and, and finds a way to get it. And I think for me, I, well, my initial impression is anyway, um, certainly as he projects maybe as a change of pace back where as you said the short yardage come in or if you're ahead if you need to if you need to grind the clock he's your guy rather than necessarily being the lead guy would you agree with that uh, yeah probably so uh, I really do and in quote unquote lead guy he may have yeah. as many carries as your lead guy uh, but like you said it will be probably more situational uh, more so than anything for Damian Pearson I think if he as long as he can carry over the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he'll be on the field a little bit more uh, in the NFL as well than maybe some people project, but he did a really good job of not panicking. Well, like uh, one thing that stuck out in my mind would he would catch a swing pass out of the backfield or something like that. And he would have a defender right in his face as he catched the ball and make that guy miss right away. And that, you could easily panic. You could easily drop the pass with a guy in your face, but he didn't do that. He made sure he made the catch. Make sure he made the defender miss and go get five, six yards and more so than he should have got with a defender in his face in the first place. So it's just uh, a very cerebral uh, type of player, uh, I think, with Damian Pierce. He, he's work pale, very tough, will do the right things type of running back. Yeah, I noted that in the couple of games I watched um pre-draft and a couple more after yeah swing passes out the backfield didn't necessarily catch so many but I think there was certainly a, a willingness to give him the ball in situations whereby yeah he was reliable in that one question I did have was pass protection there was a couple of blown assignments and maybe a lack of recognition I know it ultimately blocking's attitude but um, do you think in terms of the mentality you've seen the run game do you think that's coachable to, to improve his pass protection and as the kind of last line of defence um, in, in passing sets yeah, I think so. And probably I would probably go back more to 2020 to probably look at that more. So, as I said, Florida passed the ball a lot in 2020, okay. more so than they did in 2021. And it was different styles of offense from 2020 to 2021. Uh, so I probably as more of a quote unquote pro set. I probably would go back and look at 2020 when Kyle Trask was the quarterback. Damian Pierce was the running back in there more so than any of them. I mean, any of the other ones because they relied on him to pass block more so than they did the other running backs. So 2020 was probably a better indicator of what he's able to do more so in the, in the NFL than, than, than last year when 
you had so many questions with that Florida offense, struggling with Emory Jones at quarterback, uh, putting Florida in some really bad situations. Uh, I really think 2020 as far as maybe if you want to see how good of a pass blocker, maybe some of the ceiling there and what he can work on as well in that situation. But I think you get a better sense of what he can do in the NFL as a pass blocker if you go back and look at that 2020 season. So who so who is Damien the guy is a question. I think you saw him. Uh, he did his initial interview with the, with the team with no T-shirt. Uh, he, he said he's, his impression of Houston was nice women and nice houses. He <laughs> seems like a character, big energy. Is that is that fair or was that just a draft, draft day excitement? What's Damien like as the guy? No, that is Damien Pierce. You're going to love every interview you get with Damien Pierce. He's very forthcoming. He likes to joke around. Uh, it's uh, and look, Even last year, very tough season for Florida. Uh, he could have complained about not getting enough carries. He could. Uh, he was the consummate teammate. Uh, that he could have easily said, "Look, this is my final year. Of course, I want more carries. Of course, I want to be the guy getting the ball." But he didn't. He didn't slam the staff for not giving him the ball. He still joked around like he always has, like like, like he's always done. He's just. Uh, you're gonna love every interview you get from Damian Pierce because he's just he's just a personal guy. He's it's more instead of a media setting. It really does feel like you. When you're asking Damian Pierce a question, it feels like a one-on-one question with him. And he he really takes notice of what he's going to say. He thinks about what he's going to say. But I think it was he had one of the better relationships with the media than probably any player Florida has had in recent memory. Uh, and it's just because of his attitude and his approach with it. So not a, not, a, not a troublemaker off the field either. He never got in trouble at Florida. So I think he'll be dependable as that, uh, in that as well. You hear all the time the best, uh, the best ability is availability, uh, and he played a lot. They didn't get a lot of carries and maybe just contributed to it a lot, but he was very rarely injured. He was a very tough player, very strong player, as I said, and, and stayed out of trouble. Was never in trouble at Florida either. So you're getting a, 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 you're getting a good, funny guy when you, when, when you uh, think about Damian Pierce. Yeah, it was it was interesting because Nick Casario was very uh, kind of tempered expectations in terms of playing time and in terms of kind of his assessment in the opening uh, opening press conference, and that was again it was on it was on uh, questioned. It was just a kind of opening statement. So I hope that kind of personality they allow that to flourish and they, and they work with that because I think the, the focus on culture, uh, you know, coming over from New England, it's a little bit you know stern at times, and I hope that that they find a way to accommodate them because I think the tape definitely shows you know you've got somebody who can contribute a position we've not had for a long time. But what's your kind of uh, best moments or on and off the field of Damien that you'd that you that you'll always remember him by? Yeah, off the field, it was was it was really just a joke. He he does like the joke. Um, you know, some of the media members he would poke fun at uh, just to just to make it a lighter. Especially last year when Florida was struggling, uh, he made when you when you got to talk to Damian Pierce, you, you knew you were looking for more of a a lighter attitude uh, when everything was going so wrong for Florida on the field. Um, some um, some big catches versus Georgia. Florida finally beat Georgia. Uh, you know, Florida has struggled versus Georgia. Some big plays versus Georgia in twenty twenty. But as I said. You go back to probably his earlier 2018, 2019, just some of his bigger runs, his, his, some of his longer runs. Uh, they were busting runs versus Tennessee to seal a game away, uh, for making a difference long run play. I think I believe that was a 75-yarder versus South Carolina in 2019. Uh, very uh, different. Florida was struggling that whole game. He hits a big run. It opens it up for Florida. Florida goes on to win that game. 
But I'm sure you've seen the highlight. Everybody has seen the hi- the highlight from Damian Pierce running without his helmet last year versus Florida State in the season yeah. finale. Uh, you know, Florida's with their Florida's with a, a lame duck coaching staff. Florida's with an interim head coach. Uh, they're ending this season versus Florida State. Their head coach had just been fired a week before. Uh, Damian Pierce still goes out there and plays like his like it's his last home game in the swamp because that's exactly what it was. And he's out there. You know, the play didn't count once you, in college football. There was this rule: once your helmet comes off, the whistle's blown dead. He gets penalized for keeping keeping on playing uh, like he's supposed to do. You, you you want him to do that. But you could just tell how much being a Florida Gator meant to him, how much he wanted to go out there and win that game. And it was just a, a perfect cap off uh, to Damian Pierce's career at Florida, going out there, giving it his all uh, like, like, like you expected him to. Uh, and he goes out there and shows it in his last home game. Yeah, and the Texans are set to move to a power run scheme this year, predominantly kind of from the games of Florida, kind of run similar st- kind of concepts there. Has that been this, the case throughout the time in terms of the Dan Mullen kind of era as well? And do you, do you see him that being his best strong uh, strong suit, just the way in terms of he's kind of a high kick kind of leg runner, he kind of, you know, one cut um, type of guy? Is that, is, that, is that the best fit for him, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Because he's not a burner. He, he's not going to outrun many people, as I said. His longer runs did come in his first couple of years, but that wasn't – you didn't think you were even getting that with Damian Pierce when he come as a recruit and he come into college. So I, I do think this very situation, he's going to be a very short yardage back. He's going to make people miss. Now that's He's very agile for, for, for that, but he's not – he doesn't have the top-end speed, especially in the NFL, to keep running away from defenders. Uh, so he is going to be – a red zone weapon for the Houston Texans. He is going to be that short yardage situation, uh, but it's not going to be very predictable, as I said, because he's a very he, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I don't think the defenses are really just going to be able to key in on Damian Pierce. As if it's third and two, it's an obvious rundown for the Texans. No, they're going to be able to to pass the ball because of his ability uh, as a pass catcher as well to use him in that situation as well. So I, I do think Damian Pierce does offer some uh, unpredictability when he's on the field as well, but he won't be beating many people down the field with long runs. Yeah. And what do you think he's kind of sealing is? Um, you've had some decent running backs come out of Florida over the years and, and the SEC in general. Where, where do you, if you had to kind of comp or kind of pitch, he's kind of sealing as a pro, what do you think he can achieve? Ah, I don't know. He, he won't be a thousand yard back. I, I, I don't think. Uh, and you know, the, and the game has kind of changed in that way, in that way as well. So yeah. you don't have to be a thousand yard back to be a very integral piece of an offense. I think he'll be an integral piece of the offense uh, there, there for Houston. And it, it kind of where he was drafted, it was that third, fourth round range where we thought he'd be drafted. And that's exactly where he went uh, there. Um, I'd be interested to see. Did him not getting a whole lot of carries in college help? And mm. I don't know if we'll ever really know this, extend his career in the NFL. Uh, as I said, he had a lot of carries in high school, but didn't have a whole lot uh, there when you go and look at it. Uh, I mean, 329 carries in four years and not a, not a whole lot. Only had double digit carries in his whole career at Florida seven times. Uh, I think I went and counted. So, as I said, not a lot of mileage on him. So, I do think that will lengthen his NFL career a bit. But uh, I think you know, he'll be very. Uh, He'll contribute a whole lot, uh, I think, to Houston. Uh, Florida recent history, LaMichael Piran uh, there with the Jets, uh, Jordan Scarlett now with the Dolphins, I believe. Those, like I said, those were the two running backs he played behind in his freshman season. That's the potential to be better than both those guys. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's not 
saying a whole lot right now for Florida. Uh, but I think when you go and look at it, he can very comfortably, I think, get to that second contract. Yeah, and obviously you, you saw last year former uh, Florida Gators head coach uh, for a long time, probably one of the more successful periods in Urban Meyer coming, a rather failed experiment in Jacksonville. <laughs> what did you kind of make of that? And did you expect that to go as, as wrongly as it did? Uh, no, I didn't expect that to become that crazy of a storyline, I, I guess you could say. Look, I, I was given Jacksonville credit for trying something different. And now, of course, bringing a college coach is not unheard of. Uh, but for the Jaguars, you could go back to them hiring Tom Coughlin initially from Boston College. Uh, back when the Jaguars started as a franchise, they brought him from college and had a lot of success there. And Urban Meyer had a lot of success at Florida, had a lot of success at Utah and Ohio State, uh, retired. And it was like, hey, this is something different. You know, at least the Jaguars are not hiring a retread coach. You know, they're getting something and trying something new. Somebody familiar with the state of Florida, somebody familiar with the, the, the Jacksonville area. So I, I gave him a whole lot of credit there and never in my wildest imagination just saw the crash and burn that had become uh, there. And it was a, kind of apparent from early, from, from some of the staff he hired, from some of those personnel decisions, you, you questioned uh, what Urban Meyer was doing. And then some very questionable off the field moves uh, during the season as, you know, going to a, to, to a bar and right after a Thursday night game, instead of flying back with the team. And then just, at, it was just too many storylines, too many off field negative storylines that just kept adding up. And, I don't blame Jacksonville and the owner Sean Conn one bit for going ahead and in year one going ahead and making a move away from Urban Meyer. Yeah, and another guy from last year uh, came out in the draft, Kadarius Tony, New York. Seems like it's been a kind of a failed marriage early doors. Do you still believe that he's the first round talent when he was drafted? And uh, can he sort of reclaim his career? Certainly got off to a bad start. Quite where it's kind of fallen down, I'm not quite sure. But what do you make of his situation? Yeah, I do think he was a first-round talent, uh, what he was able to do for Florida in 2020 uh, with, when Kyle Pitts was on the field and when Kyle Pitts was off the field. Uh, Kadarius Tony just really, really uh, became an all-around all complete wide receiver his last year at Florida. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like it was a rocky start to begin with last year uh, for the Giants. And uh, you, you saw his electricity on the field when the very little he did play. Uh, so hopefully he, you know, he gets that figured out. A lot of people did question his commitment to the game of football uh, coming into the NFL. It probably was a risk by the Giants there. I, I wasn't sure he'd go first round. I didn't think he would go outside of the top two rounds. So um, when, when you look at Kadarius Tony and his production, hopefully he gets it figured out. Uh, hopefully um, he can reaffirm some teams that he does want to play uh, football. I know there's this uh, – he wants to be a rapper as well as some of his off-field activities that, that he likes to do. Uh, hopefully he doesn't think that will carry on in his career more so than the NFL. Of course, he gets that first-round money, that first-round contract. Uh, so, But it, it is somebody who's just so electric with the ball in his hand. I'd love to see him figure it out, go to see a team that wants to use him, utilize him. Uh, maybe the coaching change there in New York has some – you know, feelings of maybe he doesn't like that, but uh, there is a point you got to become a professional uh, at the same time, and then you know, maybe that's what happens. It needs to happen with Kadarius Tony. A long line of, or a long history, certainly of Florida prospects coming out, like you referenced earlier. Is there any guys in this 2022 class that you think will, or you expect to declare, certainly at this stage, that people should keep an eye out for? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the big one right now, uh, team's looking for a quarterback. We'll see if Anthony Richardson, Florida's quarterback, he played in sparingly last year. You saw so much potential uh, there, but he was never 100%. Dan Mullen, for whatever reason, didn't, much like Damian Pierce, we wonder why Anthony Richardson wasn't playing more. Some of it was due to injury, but not all of it was, but you saw the ceiling. And if you look at mock drafts right now, he's getting projected anywhere from the third overall pick to a top five pick to a top 10 pick. Some drafts don't have him at all. It, as a first-round pick at all, uh, he's got to declare first. So he's got to go out there and have a good season um, and see if he wants to go to the NFL. But the, the ceiling, the projection for Anthony Richardson is is sky high uh, right now. So and the mock, a lot of mock drafts are, are taking note of that. Along the defensive line, Jervon Dexter uh, was a former five-star recruit for Florida. Uh, you, he's right there at defensive tackle. Doesn't have a whole lot of proven help around him. So if he can go out there and dominate this year, show that he lives up to a five-star recruit potential, I think you'll see him just shoot up draft boards because he doesn't have a lot of help around him. So a lot of production from the middle of that Florida defense is going to come from him. And if he does it, I think a lot of NFL teams will take note of that. Brenton Cox, a pass rusher as well, pass rush specialist, um, kind of took over for Jonathan Grenard. Uh, when Grenard left, Brenton Cox kind of stepped into that defensive end edge rush role for Florida the last couple of years, led Florida in sacks with an eight and a half, I believe, last year. Uh, so he'll be somebody else I think you can start looking forward to uh, on draft boards. An offensive lineman, a couple there, Osiris Torrance, transfer from Louisiana with new Florida head coach Billy Napier. Could have got drafted this year, but he decided to do one more year, raise that draft stock a little bit more at a program like Florida uh, at, at that right guard position. So somebody I think you can look out for. Florida beat out Alabama, Auburn uh, for his services to transfer from Louisiana to Florida. And then one more left tackle, Richard Garage. He's played ever since he was a true freshman at Florida. His first couple of years, he played left guard. Played left tackle starting last year. This would be his second season at left tackle. Very consistent player, as I said. Kind of versatile as well. Has played guard. Has played tackle. And I think uh, he'll be somebody. I think you'll, you'll see his name called in the NFL draft next year as well. But you could have as many as 13 Gators. If all guys that declare, probably declare, and guys that are seniors uh, come in and show out, you could have anywhere from about, as I projected, about 13 Gators. I don't think. All 13 will have their name called, but if they do, that's the high number that you can set for Florida. They can have 13 guys called next year. Yeah, no, excellent. Well, thank you very much, David, for your time from Gators Breakdown. Where can the good people find you if they want to get a bit more info on Florida this year? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC, and you can find the Gators Breakdown podcast on every podcast platform and the video version on YouTube as well. Excellent. Well, Dave, thank you very much for your time. Great insight into Damien and uh, hopefully I will see him get a, a rookie season to remember. It's been a while since we've had one coming at that position. So uh, thanks for your time, David, and uh, speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.